So church, as we begin this morning, since it has been a while since we've been here in Matthew together, I just want us to begin with first being reminded of where we've been in Matthew, but then also second, quickly seeing kind of where we're going in this book. And so where we've been and and where we're going. And to see both of those, we're simply going to look at the two verses that come right before our passage, and then we'll skip ahead to the two verses at the end of our passage. And so first, as for a bit of a refresher, look with me at the two verses right before that passage in Matthew 7, 28 and 29. And we left off here back in August, and this is an important way that the last chapter ended, verses 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So in August, we did a whole message on just those two verses because of their importance. First, because remember, those conclude that long, famous Sermon on the Mount, But then also, second, remember, these verses were important because they shed a lot of light on that very crucial concept of Jesus' authority. Jesus' authority, especially his teaching authority. And remember, we saw that authority as a church together throughout the Sermon on the Mount. For example, we saw and remember how Jesus decided not to teach with the typical, thus says the Lord, like the prophets of old. Instead, he boldly said, I say to you, Basically making himself equal with God because he's saying that when he speaks, he is the Lord speaking. And then we also saw Jesus' authority and how he just took that Old Testament and interpreted it in deeper ways. And then finally, above all, we saw Jesus' authority and how not only did he speak as God in deeper ways, but also he amazingly centered everything on him. As he said, he fulfilled the whole Old Testament. He said, now it's all about following him and entering into his kingdom. All that was Jesus' teaching authority, which is why, again, as we see in verses 28 and 29 here, the crowds were astonished. (laughs) Because church, if you and I were there, we we would have sensed it. Jesus of Nazareth, in history, spoke and taught with such unsurpassed, unique authority about God, about the Bible, about history, about himself. All right, so that's where we've been in Matthew. But that now brings us quickly to an overview of kind of where we're going in Matthew. And for this, now skip ahead with me to the last two verses of our passage this morning. Look down at the last two verses in Matthew 8, 16 and 17. The Bible then is going to say this. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And so those verses are helpful for us to see where we're going in Matthew. First, because as you can see, especially in verse 16, Jesus heals a lot of people as he's going to do that in a lot of the accounts and stories to come. But even more general than that, these verses are helpful because they point to us this transition that's happening in the narrative now from Matthew 7 to Matthew 8. And, wh- and what's the transition? Well, in basic, think of it this way. If chapters 5 through 7 were especially about Jesus' teaching authority, basically now in chapter 8 for a little while, church, what we're going to see is Jesus' acted out authority. His acted out authority. Meaning now we're going to see not just that Jesus has authority in what he teaches, but also in what this Jesus does, in his miracles, his casting out demons, his healings, his his calling his own disciples, his, his calming the storm, and all of that, Jesus also has such authority. 
And just so you know, these two authorities are connected, and you can actually see that even in these verses, which show all these healings. Because notice, Matthew's clear to say, look down at verse 16, that Jesus did many healings, and he cast out demons, quote, with a word. With a word. You notice that? And that's fascinating, and we're going to see that in our passage this morning as well. And that matters, because think about it. That shows us that, number one, Jesus can speak with authority and teach And though it means, number two, that Jesus can speak with authority and do things, right? And act. Which, one last thing as we start here briefly. It is amazing to consider that about Jesus. Because who else, very famously in the Bible, just speaks. And whatever he says, number one, is authoritative in whatever he teaches, But also, number two, what he says is so authoritative that if he says something he wants to happen, it actually happens. And well, you know it, page one of our Bibles, quote, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. (laughs) Meaning, church, the creator God in the Bible is the only one who speaks authoritatively in his word when he teaches and also speaks so authoritatively that he accomplishes whatever he wants to say. And so it is that you and I are supposed to be seeing with this Rabbi Jesus. And so that's where we've been and where we're going. And just in case you're curious, we will come back to that semi-confusing verse 17 about him taking our illnesses at the very end of our message. But again, so that's where we've been, where we're going. But that finally does bring us to our outline for all of verses 1 through 17 this morning. And so as for our outline for how we're going to go through this pretty big passage now. So as you probably noticed in the scripture reading, this passage is easy to break down because there are three clear stories of healings in it. Three stories. And so for you and me, basically what we'll be doing this morning is we're going to very simply have three sections together, three sections taking each story on its own. So three sections. And while we do so, we're going to see a lot about Jesus, but then we're also going to see a lot about our faith in this Jesus. But all that said, church, let's then just dive in, begin Matthew 8 together in our first story and section here. And for this, we're just going to be in those first four verses, and we're going to look at this famous story of Jesus' healing of the leper. And we're going to take this story in just three quick steps. The intro, what the leper does and says, and then what Jesus does and says. And so let's just start with the intro of the story in just verse 1. So continuing on in Matthew, look down at your Bibles, Matthew 8, verse 1. When he, Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. We'll stop there and we quickly read that verse to start because that when he came down from the mountain is a pretty important phrase. Because in the Old Testament, if you know the Old Testament, remember, there was someone who also went up on a mountain to teach and who heard God's words and then came down the mountain. And that was Moses, the lawgiver. But now here we have Jesus, who in the Sermon on the Mount said he's the fulfillment of the law, and now he's coming down from the mountain now to act. Right? So that's verse 1, which next leads to verse 2 and what this leper does and says. So look there now, verse 2. And behold... A leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. <laughs> so now on that verse, I know we've probably heard this before, but let's, let's just remember what leprosy was and represented at this time. Because leprosy, as probably all of us know, was a skin disease. And in fact, that word could refer to many different types of skin diseases. And most important though, here's five quick things to know about leprosy and lepers. Just five quick things. Number one, in Jewish law, leprosy marks someone as unclean. And then number two, leprosy was something that separated people off from society. So they basically ended up living in leper societies. And that was because number three, leprosy was seen as something you definitely didn't want to get near to and touch. 
And then number four, leprosy was also something that was basically seen as incurable. And then biggest of all, number five, leprosy at that time, or leper at that time, was usually deemed to be cursed by God. Okay, so, so follow this with me. In this story, behold, you see Matthew writes that, behold, we've got this unclean, outcast person who is basically avoided and incurable and even understood to be cursed by God. And he comes to Jesus. And amazingly, first, the Bible says he knelt before him. Do you notice that? And, and, that's, and, and just so we're clear, that's the same exact verb as the verb to worship. And so this leper probably doesn't know exactly what he's doing fully. And that's why most translations translate that as just knelt down. But still, that is supposed to shock us. This unclean, outcast, cursed by God leper sees something unique about Jesus and his authority and his love. And so he kneels down before him. And then what happens? Well, he, what he first says to Jesus is crystal clear. He calls him Lord meaning he calls Jesus his master, his Lord. And then finally, he adds to that by saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Meaning he knows Jesus can. The question isn't, Jesus, are you able to do this? No, he, he knows Jesus can. All right, so that's this leper, what he does and says, which and finally, on this quick story, leads us to verses three and four and what Jesus responds with. So look there now, verses three and four. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So most shockingly on those verses, as for what Jesus does, you can see Jesus, quote, stretched out his hand and touched him touched him. That's astonishing because Jesus right there shows his authority and his love, his authority to go against so many of the common ideas about lepers of his day and his love towards this leper. And so Jesus touches the leper and then Jesus says, I will be clean, meaning he speaks with that authority and therefore what happened, quote, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And now, and now even on that, think of this. Notice, as for even a picture of the gospel right there in that little exchange, notice what's so amazing about all of that church is that by touching the leper like that, think of it, someone could come in and say, oh no, that now means that Jesus himself is unclean. But, but here's an amazing gospel truth. When Jesus, when God comes in contact with uncleanness, the end result is not that the unclean person makes God, makes Jesus unclean. Instead, the un end result is that God makes the unclean clean again. <laughs> I hope we each personally get that. And that's important because in the Old Testament, if you or I were to touch an unclean person like a leper like this, we would become unclean ourselves because we are not the Savior. <laughs> But here, when Jesus shows up, when God our Savior arrives on the scene and he touches the leper, he makes the leper clean again. <laughs> and that's good news. And that's how it happens for you and me. But anyway, so that's most of what Jesus says and does here. Which finally, though, as for that last verse here, we don't have time to get into all of it. But in basic, Jesus then lastly tells the leper to go and show himself to the priest and give the gift according to the law of Moses. And basically, that's, your yet, that's their yes to follow the Old Testament commands of the day. 
But even deeper than that, Jesus says that because notice at the end he says, quote, for a proof to them. A proof to them. And a proof of what? Well, proof that as Jesus has been saying, the kingdom of God, the reign of God's goodness truly has arrived in Jesus. Right? That's the point. And so church, I know that maybe was a lot, but that's the overall gist of this first story here. And it is a beautiful story. And let's remember, that really happened. Lepers were truly outcast and rarely touched. And, and a leper here amazingly did come up to Jesus. And Jesus, this shockingly authoritative and unique and loving rabbi, he touched him. And he healed him completely. And stories like that changed the world. And so again, that's the first healing here. But that now brings us, before we do move on to the second and next, to now just take a minute and quickly apply that to ourselves. Apply that. And we're going to do that by asking, what does this story then show us about Jesus? And then what does it show us about your and my faith in Jesus? And so just make sure we apply this. Let's just take those one at a time. And so first, concerning Jesus, you can sense it. The story clearly shows us a few big things about him, a few big things that we should love about Jesus. Three things. Number one, this story uniquely shows us Jesus' willingness to get close to the unclean and those deemed sinners. Right? His willingness to get so close to the unclean and sinners. Because think about this. In this story, Jesus could have just spoken to the leper. With that same, I will be clean. And just like God said, let there be light. And there was light. There could, God could have, or Jesus could have healed him. But instead, Jesus is the one who decides to touch the leper. And the encouragement, therefore, for you and I is that is still a picture of how Jesus is with you and me. Because, because let's be honest, I'm, I'm sure you know that you have your things, your struggles, your sins, your, your brokennesses that you may think kind of keep Jesus away from you a little bit. Right? We're all like that. We, th we think that Jesus must want to keep his distance. But the truth is, those things don't keep Jesus away from you. Instead, in fact, there's a sense in the New Testament which those are the things that Jesus is precisely drawn to because he's the physician who shows up for the sick because he's the friend of sinners. Right, so that's the number one thing we see here about Jesus, which then, number two, concerning Jesus here, this also shows us Jesus' power here, right? I mean, his power, he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> and that's seen again in how he just speaks. And again, just like, let there be light and there is light, so the leper is healed. We're supposed to see power there. Which then finally, number three on this passage in Jesus, lastly in verse four, we do see here that Jesus knew that his healings were supposed to be a proof of something. And a proof of what? Well, a proof not just that people can be healed. That's not the main takeaway. But instead, this is proving to us that Jesus was and he still is the healer. That he brought and brings the very kingdom of God. Because think about it, for the rest of his life, this leper would have been walking around as a living proof of the reality of Jesus. All right, so that's Jesus in the story. But that finally, much more briefly, leads us to ask, but when, what then about our faith in Jesus in this story? And for that, now we're actually just going to look at the example of this leper. This leper. Because what do we see about him? Well, first we see his willingness to come to Jesus, right? His willingness. And so church, so, so should we. We can go to Jesus because of who he is. He's eager to have us. You should know that. Which then second about this leper leads us to notice how even kind of unknowingly here, when he goes to Jesus, he, he, he bows down before him, submitting to Jesus' power and love. And in a way, so should we. But biggest of all concerning this leper here in our faith 
is third, noticing what this leper's faith was in. What his faith really was. And stick with me because this is important. Because notice, if we're really careful here, we can see that this leper's faith here was not in his faith. It wasn't in his faith. Meaning the leper, notice, the leper doesn't fixate on his own faith. He does not come to Jesus and say something like, Jesus, look, I'm, I'm here, I'm bowing down, and because of all of my faith and my trust, won't you heal me? And I, and I bring that up because the truth is, I do think sometimes we can be like that. We can focus so much on our faith, especially in discussions of healing. And honestly, that has happened a lot recently in more recent church traditions that have started to teach people that if you just have enough faith, then you will be healed. Which, when you really break it down, isn't actually trusting in Jesus, but it's trusting in you mustering up enough faith. And so, and so that's not what we see here. Instead, what is the faith of this leper? Well, you know it is simple. He looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. That's faith. Faith doesn't mainly look at faith or yourself, nor is faith something that demands that Jesus must heal us. Instead, faith is looking at Jesus and knowing that he can heal, of course. And now if he decides to do so in this life, that is his choice. And we know he definitely will heal all of us in the future. We're going to talk about that more later. But for now, what we do need to see is that faith technically is not about having enough of it so you will gain some sort of benefit. That is the complete opposite of grace. Instead, faith is trusting in Jesus, right? That's it. That's what we see here. It is knowing that Jesus is so loving, so powerful that he can, and therefore it is trusting in what he decides to do in his authority and his love. Okay, so that's all our first story here. That's the first healing. But that now does lead us on to the second. And this story is mentioned next because it shares a lot of similarities with that first story. But this time, interestingly, instead of this being a Jewish outcast, the leper, now this is going to be the healing of a servant of a Roman centurion, which just means a Roman soldier. And that's a big deal because, as you probably know, at the time, the fact that the Romans ruled over the Jews in their land was not something that was very liked. And so here we have someone exemplifying that rulership. And yet we see Jesus' love for him and even his servant. But that said, now let's just dive into the story. And like the previous one, we're going to take this in some steps. But we'll begin with all of verses 5 through 7. Matthew 8, 5 through 7. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, we're going to stop there because that's all basically the setup to the story. And what we see briefly there, right, is this quick plea from the centurion. And, and you notice, technically, he doesn't ask for Jesus to come and heal. He just says that his servant is paralyzed at home, suffering terribly, which is awful. And then second, what we see is Jesus to that, though, does reply amazingly with those words, I will come and heal him. And think of it. That then could have been really all the story. Because then Jesus could have gone and shown his, shown his power and love. And, and like with the leper, he could have just healed the servant. But that's, that's not what happened in the story. Because then next, it's the centurion who totally surprises us with what he says. 
And now for that, look at verses 8 and 9, the next verses, verses 8 and 9. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So hearing that, you can sense it. That's, that's amazing how this centurion viewed Jesus because how, how did he? Well, right away, notice he's clear. He knows he's not even worthy to have Jesus come under his roof, which is an astonishing statement for this Roman centurion to make because it shows that he somehow knows that Jesus is kind of in a, in a totally different category from himself. And then following that and the rest of what the centurion says, he basically says he knows that Jesus just needs to, quote, only say the word, <laughs> And my servant will be healed. And how can that be? Well, because he knows Jesus has authority. And not just authority in general, but you can notice what the centurion does is he compares Jesus' authority with his own. Not in a prideful way, but to exalt Jesus. Because his point is, in his own yet much smaller realm of authority, he knows, sure, he's a man who has soldiers under him, and because of that, he can go tell people to go, and they go, and come, and they come. But what does that then imply about Jesus' authority? Well, get this. What, what that implies is that this man knows, sure, He's got some authority in his little Roman soldier job that he's got. But concerning Jesus, he's saying, and Jesus, I know you're like that with huge things. Like my servant's sickness and his paralysis miles away from here. You get that? In other words, this centurion somehow recognized that Jesus had such authority over sickness and paralysis, even authority over time and space, since he knew Jesus didn't even need to travel to his house. He knew that Jesus just needed to speak from where he was, and boom, his servant could be healed. It's amazing. Right, so that's the centurion, which next on this story leads Jesus to say this in verses 10 through 12. We'll just do verses 10 through 12 now. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whew. And so now, let's just break down what Jesus decides to say there first. You notice Jesus marvels at the centurion's faith. He marvels. And on that, I think what we should focus on is less the fact that Jesus marveled, although that is amazing, but more so we should see, think of this, that by marveling like that, Jesus therefore takes what the centurion just said about him, and he basically points out to those around him and to us this morning, he says, now that's great faith. In other words, Jesus almost helps define marvelous faith here for us. And quickly, that right there basically confirms what we were just talking about with the leper, doesn't it? Because if amazing faith, according to Jesus, is this, then Jesus is teaching his followers back then, he's teaching us that again, faith isn't about having so much of it that you realize you have such faith. Instead, faith is more about what we believe about Jesus. You get that? Because that's what the centurion believed. He's just made statements about how Jesus had such authority. And Jesus basically responded with, wow, and you knowing that and leaning on that, that's amazing faith. All right, so that's, that's the first thing Jesus says here. And we could think that that's all he'd say. But as you saw, it's Jesus who doesn't stop there. 
Because that's only verse 10. Because then, in verse 11 and 12, Jesus gives those remarks about how many are going to come to the table, meaning feast in the kingdom of God from all over, while the sons of the kingdom will not come. And only will they not come, but they'll be thrown into the outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And now church, we don't have time to get into every single one of those details, but what we do need to see overall is that it is Jesus here. It's him, brothers and sisters, who in the midst of this healing, he decides to take the opportunity to, on the one hand, encourage those listeners by basically saying, look, anyone from anywhere can get in on this. You know, anyone can come and believe in me. So, So he encourages here with that, but then also Jesus warns here in the same breath, doesn't he? He warns. And now us as modern people, we may think that warning like that in this kind of setting seems pretty unnecessary, right? We, we might be tempted to even think it's somewhat callous or comes off as unloving, but really it, it is the opposite. Because again, Jesus knows many will come to him and that's encouraging. Anyone from anywhere can come to Jesus. He has arms open. But also Jesus knew he's the only savior. He's the answer for the world. He's the hope of the world. He's love incarnate, and yet many people are going to deny him. And even many people from God's Old Testament people who should have embraced him as their Messiah. And his point so clearly is, for them and for anyone else, denying him is only hurting themselves. Instead of the feast, they're choosing that weeping and gnashing of teeth. Which finally on this story leads to the last thing that then happens. This is now verse 13. Look there, verse 13. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus didn't even need to go. And quote, at that very moment, the servant was healed. And and so think of this, and I, I love this. In the previous story, with the leper, Jesus surprised us by getting so close and touching the leper. Right, going nearer than we'd ever expect. But now in this story, Jesus surprises us in almost the opposite way. He now shows us, and he can also heal from really far away. <laughs> Nothing is too hard for this Jesus. And church, really, Jesus is the same today for you and me. Believe it, he's this powerful, that loving, that in control. And now let's be clear on that, though. That does not mean that he will always decide to do what we think would be best, right? Whether we're talking about certain circumstances in our lives we wish were different, right? Certain relational or financial troubles or especially body ailments and issues that we have that we really wish were different. But still, just like with the centurion, we should trust in Jesus's authority and love. He can do whatever he wants and he loves us. Our faith is in him. All right, so that's our first two sections. And those are the main healings here in this story. But that all finally for this morning leads us to the last specific healing mentioned here. And this is only two verses. And it's a much quicker story. And this will be by far our briefest section, therefore. But I want us to look at this on its own because I think Matthew includes this on its own for a reason. So to begin, though, let's just now read this healing all at once. This is just in verses 14 and 15. 14 and 15. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. So that short story is interesting because, again, just like with the outcast leper, 
And like with the disliked Roman centurion and his servant, so here it's, it's unfortunately true that women back then in these societies were more so looked down upon. And so I do think Matthew now deciding to single out the healing of Peter's mother-in-law who's just at home with a fever is intentional. But I don't think that's all that's here because that's the healing and it, it truly did happen. It's amazing. But perhaps even bigger than the healing itself is that notice with the leper and the centurion's servant we don't see the result that happens after the healing that the person experienced, if that makes sense. But here, Matthew adds this quick, and she rose and began to serve him, which is unique from the other two stories. And now, as for why that's significant, it could be that he wrote that to show that once she was healed, she wanted to get up and serve Jesus. And there's a truth to that. But to my surprise, a lot of the people I read this week took that addition by Matthew, not mainly to mean that, but instead, they pointed out that that's probably here to more so show us that once Peter's mother-in-law was healed, Jesus' healing really did restore her to her previous state. It restored her to the point where she could rise and work and serve, if you get that. Meaning the king has come and he brings restoration. Because before, she couldn't serve because of her fever. But now, after Jesus, she could again, right? Restored. And church, really, I, th I think that's the last thing I want us to see in these three stories, this, this mini picture of restoration. And for you and me, that especially, I think, points you and I to our ultimate restoration and healing to come in Jesus. Because finally, we need to address this question about healing now that I'm sure many of us have had. Because on the one hand, Right? As we have seen a handful of times now, we each need to know that it is true. This Jesus is still alive. Right? And he can heal us and of any of our ailments, big or small, right now if he does, if he wants to. But then, on the other hand, we probably still wonder, but why then doesn't he often or usually do it? Right? Let's, let's be honest. Wrestling with this is, is really tough. This is, this is no academic theological just debate because we know it. Sicknesses and diseases and pains and hurts are awful results of the fall. Right? And Jesus knew that. And remember, Jesus himself clearly cared about suffering here. And he even, for example, wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. And not only that, but to add to this question, just so you know, we know that from within the New Testament itself, we know that people don't always get healed, even after Jesus came. Right? Paul got really hurt. Timothy got sick. All the apostles and the early Christians eventually died. Right? And even here, we know that people like Peter's mother-in-law, she was healed from this sickness, absolutely, but eventually she, she did die, presumably from some other illness or disease. And so Jesus does not always promise to heal us in this life. And so, and so what do we do with all this? And church, all that said, I do think that this reality of restoration that we see in a mini picture here is the ultimate answer to that. Because think of it, yes, when the kingdom of heaven has arrived on the scene in Matthew 8 here, in this Jesus the King, Jesus does show us what this reality of restoration looks like in vibrant color. Right? He can and he does restore in these stories. But that is not supposed to make you and I think that we'll always have stories like this happen to us. Nor is it supposed to make us think that we'll always have an easy, victorious, sick-free life from here on out because we know Jesus. Jesus' disciples didn't. Jesus himself didn't. 
Instead, it is all supposed to point us to the facts that number one, Jesus is still this same king of the universe and the ultimate healer and restorer. And so yes, number two, his kingdom is here now to some degree and so he can decide to heal us, amen. But church, his kingdom isn't here yet fully. But take heart, one day it will be. And that's when our ultimate healing will come. That's when, like symbolized here with Peter's mother-in-law, that's when we ourselves are going to forever rise and be restored and be able to live and love and serve Jesus and one another like we were meant to. We should believe that. And so church, that's most of verses 1 through 17. And I hope you're encouraged by Jesus in all of those accounts. But there is one more verse, one more verse to look at. And that's that final verse 17. And just please stick with me for a few more minutes. This will be so, so worth it. Because think about it. We have now basically covered all of those verses, the whole passage. But to conclude that passage, it's Matthew, inspired by the living God, who fascinatingly decides to write this in verse 17. So look down your Bibles just one last time this morning. Matthew concludes with verse 17. This was to fulfill... What was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. (laughs) So on that verse, first, as for the kind of basic meaning there, you can see that this verse shows us that in some way, Jesus, in his authority and love, when, when he came close to these people and healed them, Matthew says he did so because he took and bore illnesses and diseases. Meaning Jesus is able to heal because he somehow participates and took our illnesses and diseases. But the question is, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> right? Why would Matthew think that that's a good Old Testament verse to quote and even say is fulfilled in all of those healings by Jesus that we just read? And well, in answer to that, here's where it gets really fascinating. So what we need to know is that that quote that we just read from the Old Testament is no random Old Testament text. Rather, that's from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. And as you might know, and as we covered in our understanding of the gospel series, Isaiah 53 is perhaps the clearest picture in the whole Old Testament of Jesus' sacrificial death for sins in our place, which happened on the cross. Right? Matthew and all the early Christians knew that. And so that said again, the question is, well, why bring that up here, though, when talking about healing? And and here's the answer, and it's so fascinating. It's because in verse 17, finally here, Matthew, therefore, he looks at all of these healings of Jesus, which remember, he witnessed. He was there for them. And what do those healings make him think of? Well, apparently, the cross. The cross. And now what happened on the cross? On the cross, Jesus mainly took all of our sins. We know that. And so, so how does that connect to here? Well, it seems to be this. It, it, it's, it's that sense all sickness is a result of sin and not necessarily a one-to-one thing. We need to know that. It's not always that you're sick because of some specific sin. Jesus himself made that very clear. But still, we need to know all sickness and disease in the world is a result of sin. And so Matthew apparently looks at all these healings and it directs his attention to the cross because he's basically saying Jesus is able to do all of these healings because when he took our sins, he also in a way took eventually our illnesses that are going to go with those sins, the reality of sin. Meaning the sicknesses and diseases that accompany the reality of sin 
In this broken world, Jesus took all of that for us on the cross. That's how he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. That seems to be the point. That's why Matthew quotes from Isaiah 53. Or to say that all another way, if you're still confused, here's how one scholar I read this week put it. And actually, this is the the Bible scholar D.A. Carson, who I mention only because a lot of you might be reading his For the Love of God book in your Bible reading plan. His commentary in Matthew is one of the best. And on this Old Testament reference, he said this, quote, Matthew holds that Jesus' healing ministry is itself a function of his substitutionary death by which Jesus lays the foundation for destroying sickness. Let me read that again. Matthew holds that Jesus' healing ministry is itself a function of a substitutionary death by which Jesus lays the foundation for destroying sickness. And church, really, that's the final point I hope we all get. Because in basic, that's what's going on. Matthew looks at all of these healings. And therefore, you and I, we should look at all of these healings and we should think of our future healing and glory. And and the question is, what's that really all about? How can Jesus do this? How can I know that one day I will be totally whole and healed? And the answer is, it is because our ultimate healer church is the Savior who took all of our sins. And think of this, and because he bore all of our sins, because your sins are gone, and because he has promised that one day sin will be totally eradicated from this universe, therefore you can be sure he will heal you completely one day. And yes, sometimes, maybe he'll do that now with certain ailments we have in this life, in miraculous healings, by using doctors, by using prayer. And so yes, church, let us be people who do trust that Jesus is alive, that he can still do this. Let's pray for others and plead for healing. Absolutely. But above all, one last time, let's realize Jesus himself bore our illnesses and our diseases when he bore them on the cross. And so please just get this. Just like you and I now still struggle with sin, even though our sin is totally forgiven. So let's realize that in this life, we will still struggle with health things as well. But ultimately, those are totally defeated too. And one day, brothers and sisters, we will see that. We will experience that when the same Jesus who came and healed like this and died and rose when he comes and heals us. He will, just like he did in these stories. Amen? Let's pray.